HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cooking Issues is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, an employee-owned company that has been offering organic stone ground products for decades. Their flours and whole grains are the highest quality and are minimally processed at their stone mill in Oregon. Visit bobsredmill.com to shop their huge range of products. Use the code COOKING25 for 25% off your order. Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network. Well, really freaking late today. Uh, from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joined as usual in the studio by Nastasia the Hammer Lopez and Dave in the booth. What up? So we got to take a break. Hold on. We'll be right and, back. And special guest. <laughs> Paul Adams from, uh, what are you, the, you're the Grand Vizier of Online Cooking. Baron. Yeah. Not online. All. All. All Cooks Illustrated. Now. Cooks Illustrated. All of it. Not the online. Right. You're the editor of the whole thing. The science editor. The science editor. Oh, the magazine? Yeah. Nice. And online. And online. All. Yes. All. So and if some there, of TV also. Oh, cool. If there is content and there is science involved... You are the editor of this. Yes. He's okay. the guy. Yeah. All right. The one and only. Uh, now you have that pr- Prince song going through my head. But he wasn't Prince at the time. He was that squiggle shape when that song came out. Yes. My name is Prince. You know that song? And I am funky. You know that song? Mm-hmm. But actually, he says my name is Prince. But wasn't that on the album where his name, in fact, was not Prince? Where his name was Symbol. Yeah. Yeah, where his hmm. name was the artist formerly known as... I believe that that was... Spotted a discrepancy. I believe that was the first album where that happened. Dave... Are you trying to say you just outsmarted Prince? Because uh, I, I, I don't never think say so. That. I would never, no, I would never ever never say, say that. that. I used to sing that song to myself in German. How does it go? I don't remember. You remember. I'm sure I do you remember. remember. Yeah, you do. <laughs> sing it to all That's of us a lie. In uh, I, people, See right through that. People, I have lied to you. Uh, I do. Yeah, I do. In, I do. In fact, remember it. Uh, <laughs> well then, let's go. Der Einzige. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Kaiser of Prince. Yeah, no, like, like uh, no, 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 no. Not gonna do it. You did it. Yeah, yeah. Der Einzige. Let's me. Injure me. Where he says hurt me. Hurt me. You know that song? German's just not sexy enough for Prince. Oh, so sexy. German. You know what? Funky. I don't know. I've made it up. I would always, just, I would always just say funkish, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Und ich bin funkish. Funkish. Ich 
Kaiserprinz, der eins und einzig, verletzt mich. My friend is in Berlin this week and she's staying at Pension Funk. Oh, nice, I like that. Well, Funk, you know, like, uh, that, I forget what that means. It has something to do with telecommunications, right? No, it means funk. No, it does not. <laughs> also, I forget whether it, I never remember, and these days, I can't remember anymore whether, I can't tell whether I'm supposed to use a mic or a mirror anymore, you know. I know. It's been like so long. Did you do German back in the day, Paul? Yep. Yeah. A little bit. You can't remember that stuff, right? Because the great thing about German, the great thing about learning German is, is it's fundamentally completely rule-based. So for a rule-based person such as myself, it's incredibly easy to learn. Also incredibly easy to forget. You're yes. a rule-based person? I mean... Isn't, isn't time a rule? <laughs> time is not on my side. No, it is not. But the, the, no, what happened to me today was I was going to be my normal amount late and the subway was like, hey, you know what? Why don't we just not stop at Flushing? Which is the stop that I get off here. So, like, walk or you so you're blaming it on the subway? I'm blaming it on the rain, actually. Uh, there's no rain. There's no rain. It's all my fault. I mean, that's the thing. It's all my fault. But That's, I'm that's you, all I wanted to hear. Yeah, but I just Thank you. Thank you. you, you know. Thank you. You're grown up now. How I messed up, but yes, like, or like, you know, what miscalculations I made. At the end of the day, it's all my fault. Um, interesting fact, Paul. Nastasia, I'm sure, does not care. And I don't know, Dave, whether you'll care. You have to tell me. But uh, when I was a kid, I am one of the last generations that grew up with red pistachio nuts. Do either of you guys remember red pistachio nuts? Totally. No. I remember the bags of them, but we didn't buy them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so like they were phasing out, you know, Paul clearly remembers and Dave does not. So in the 70s and mid-80s, right, when you bought pistachio nuts, they were red. I'm not talking like, like rosy. I mean, completely soaked, dyed red with red food coloring. Like so much so that, and I used to, I mean, pistachios, let's face it, pistachios are the best nut. To like in terms of like flavor, I mean pistachios are good. I mean, like we can have an argument. Some They're people, great. Pistachios are great, They're right? Juicy. They have a good taste. They taste like pistachios, which is a win. You know what I mean? But conversely, yeah. a bad pistachio, one that's been shriveled or moldy or has its sweet aflatoxin on it, is like one of the worst things you can put in your mouth. Like one of those shriveled pistachios when you get one in your mouth is like a horror show, right? So it's like shriveled nuts in your mouth, never good. Whoa, family show. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, Why did they dye them red? Uh, well, that's where I'm getting to. So this dye also was not very high quality dye, Paul. If you remember, it was like it would come off on your well, hands. Well, it depends on what you look for in a dye. Well, I look for it to in stay. In those days, you wanted them to come off in your hands. Really? Yeah. I mean, my hands that's were like half the thrill of eating pistachios. My hands and face were perpetually stained red because yeah. also I'm too lazy to pick them apart with my hand. So I grab it with my hand place it on my tooth, rip it open, spit the other shell out, suck the nut and go. Right. So I, I, I was red all over. I was like... Suck the nut and go. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like Nastasia Lopez was the time we got FNDC blue number, whatever it was, dye. And I told her not to touch it and I came back from lunch and her entire face was blue like she was freaking Violet Beauregard from Willy Wonka. It was amazing. Uh, but so like I used to uh, wish I had taken photos he you said know. you shouldn't have touched it and I said I didn't and he was like go look in the mirror <laughs> uh, yeah and like that's also like my that was my favorite part of um, the modernist cuisine the original book was the story they talk oh, about the submarine yeah. remember that yeah remember that Paul no I don't so <laughs> it's the best part of the book yeah it's the best part of the book 
And so what happens is is they're recounting a story uh, that a naval doctor did where they got everyone on the submarine to come in for a checkup, ostensibly, of their posterior portions, right? To I don't know what they were, like, what they lied and said they were testing for. Really, all they were doing is swabbing the sailors' butts with uh, phosphorescent dye. They then waited, like, a day or two and then went like around... their... their- their buttholes, yeah, yeah, with phosphorus and dye. They then went around the sub with a with a light, with a black light, and were looking for <laughs> the phosphor. And the entire inside of the submarine like lit up like a freaking Christmas tree <laughs> with a black light. And so like, and like when I read that, I was like, oh, people, they gross. It's, by the way, it's not sailors; it's people. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, uh, so yeah. like, and everyone assumes, oh, it's you know. This is the classic Nastasia mistake. She's like, my germs are okay. It's everyone else's germs that are no good. And everyone thinks that. It's like prisoner's dilemma of germs. And so the entire inside of the submarine is completely coated with, with uh, poop phosphor, which is an amazing, I mean, clearly the best, clearly that's the only takeaway from all of modernist cuisine that yeah. Nastasia and I had was <laughs> poop on the submarine. All right, so we got to take a quick break. Oh, we got to finish pistachios. Got to finish pistachios. So, pistachios were always dyed red, and here's what happened. I read about it. So, pistachios that we used to get were from Iran. That's where the majority of the pistachios were grown. They were imported into the United States, and the traditional harvesting method to get pistachio nuts in um, in Iran left uh, blemishes on, like stain, literal stains on the outside shells of the nuts. And so because Americans in the 70s, and I guess before, or maybe even Iranian uh, consumers, I don't know, didn't want to buy nuts that looked stained, probably with human fingerprints or something else mm-hmm. equally horrible, to go back to the poop story. Blood. Blood. They stained them bright red because the bright red apparently covered up all the stains and it was all good. Uh, so enter when um, the revolution happened in Iran. They took the hostages. There's an embargo on Iranian nuts. Uh And for a while, Californians were dying them like the Iranians did. However, the methods of harvesting used in California did not cause stains on the nets. And so everyone was like, we don't need to dye these nuts no more. And that's why pistachio nuts aren't red any longer. All right, we'll take a break. Come back with more cooking (laughs) issues. Nastasia, it's time for our Bob's Red Mill moment, where I put your cooking improvisational skills to the test. This week's secret ingredient is all-purpose flour, meaning it has all purposes, any purpose. You want to clean your car? All-purpose flour. Nastasia, tell us what you'd make. Um, I would make chicken piccata. What? That's what you call out AP flour for? I would have no other use for AP flour in my house other than putting it on chicken. Wait, let me get this straight. Yeah. You literally... Have no reason to have flour in your house other, other than, than to, yeah. So you're not like not only are you not going to bake with it, right? But but the only thing that you ever put a coating on before you fry up is chicken. Yes, and not even like like fake salting boca. Like because I love a chicken. Do you ever make the fake chicken salting boca? You know salting boca alla romana, right? The veal cutlet with the prosciutto and the and the sage. It's called salty boca because, do you remember Italian, because what? Something in the mouth. It jumps in the mouth! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks to Bob's Red Mill for supporting cooking issues. Visit bobsredmill.com to shop their huge range of products. Use the code COOKING25 for 25% off your order. That's cooking, no space, the number two, the number five. All right, so more on this. Those are painful. Some more on this. Nastasia. You have no idea. Nastasia. Oh, yeah. We edited out half of the diatribe where we're yelling at each other. But Well, I mean, then if I didn't, the ad would be longer than the show, especially oh. with your arrival times. Oh. Times. Time. Well, no, you showed up early. Well, I don't know when you showed oh, up. Oh, I meant like just Dave over the course of forever. Oh, freaking Hustino on a stick, man. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you, know, you, you live here over a river. Anyway, my point is that... Uh, so I don't know what that means. I don't. What do you mean? You don't know what that means. <laughs> we we literally have to travel over a river to make it here. I don't, yeah, whatever. Anyway, so like, like over <laughs> the river and through the freaking woods. Anyway, point being uh, that Nastasia. One of the things Nastasia. I don't think you've played this ad yet, but one of the things Nastasia was supposed to do for Bob's Red Mill was uh, Faro. I yes, pronou- and I made it. Hold on a second. I pronounce it Faro to bother Nastasia. Even though I know it's pronounced Faro, just just to tick her is off. Is it? Because I I keep hearing both. It's Faro. It's Faro. All right. Anyway, but like like when you use a foreign ingredient that's not really fully like Americanized yet, you use the original pronunciation until proven yeah, otherwise. Okay. No, fair, fair. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so and say it like Cesare would say it. No. Come on. No. Tell uh, the story. Anyway, Faro. so so Nastasia. So Faro. Hey, che ma. So like. Uh, Nastasia comes in and pretends to have cooked something with Faro. Like, I had done all these recipes like I was supposed to. She comes in, and her pretend recipe was the worst pretend recipe and I made on it Earth. On so no, she made a different one. So she takes, yeah, like... there's a photo. She takes... There's a photo. We can prove it. She can tweet it out of what she made with Faro. Uh, she chooses my two least favorite things. Chunks, huge chunks of just a hacked-up eggplant. Which I love eggplant. No, mm-hmm. they were the mini ones. Okay. All right. That's more of a win. And summer freaking squash. Like just chunks mm-hmm. of summer freaking squash and farro. And I guarantee you. And fridge cheese. And you f- grow those? I like how fridge. No, I, there was you a. buy them? Yeah. I like it's how Nastasia has a whole category fridge cheese. It's like the cheese that's been sitting in your fridge for a month. So, but so, so the, it, it went in as, let's say, cheese. it went in as, let's say, camembert, and then just becomes fridge cheese. Yeah. <laughs> how, did, how did it taste? Eh. <laughs> Tur- turns out you should spend some time thinking about what you cook. Oh, go figure. Uh, oh, also, Paul brought something. I think Paul brought something first. No, he first. didn't. Who brought this? This t- stuff to drink. I found it. You found we it? Found I took it. that from the studio bar. Yeah. Uh, all right. But so, Paul has two things that he's here to promote. I thought Paul was specifically pushing nothing. All right, Paul, what are you promoting? <laughs> I'm not promoting it, but I've been investigating dihydromericetin. Oh, yeah, me too. Oh, yeah? All right, no, I'm go. just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Basically, inspired by Dave opening his exciting new bar, I went there, and there's an interesting cocktail menu, and I wanted to try all of it, but... Beverage alcohol has an intoxicating effect, which prevents you from having as many cocktails as you would otherwise want. Whoa, 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 what? <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> I'm, just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. All right, go, go, go ahead. All right, so wait, give the name of the compound again so people can get their fingers back on the Google. Get your finger on the Google key right now. Dihydromericetin. D-I-H. Like two hydros. Y-D-R-O. Well, dihydro they can get. Dihydro. Two hydros. Well, Maurice, like, like, Maurice... DHM is the slang. 
But Maurice yeah. spelled Isn't like Maurice spelled name? like Maurice. No, Mauriceton spelled like Mercine. M Y R, like named after the plant family. Yeah, E C T E I. I can't spell on the air for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Where do they get this crap from? D I A. Amazon. The internet. No, no, no. Okay. Where did the internet get it from? Amazon. Where did the Amazon? Amazon the jungle or Amazon the Bezos? Bezos. The I only call him Bezos. I don't care how he's supposed to be pronounced. He's Bezos. Ampelopsis. Grossa something plant or Hovinia dulcis. It's from traditional Chinese medicine as a hangover cure, but recently the West has started investigating the active ingredient, which is called dihydromericetin. But it's a legit old-school TCM thing. Yeah. Okay. And uh, on the on the street, the kids are calling it what? DHM. DHM. Is it is it GRAS to throw another uh, acronym into it or no? Generally regarded as safe by the U.S. Uh, pharmacopoeia? Only by default. I don't think it's been... Wait, so that we're allowed to play, Dave? We're allowed to yeah. rip on, uh, on Mary the, like, Poppins? Like, <laughs> yeah, like Darth, Darth Disney? Darth Disney is okay with us? We can't yeah, play we can't any play songs that we want? Anyway, all right. Wait, don't worry it. about it. All right, <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about I'll it. I'll talk to legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so go ahead. Yeah. So, so we get this stuff. So I purchased a jar of... Capsules of dihydro. But in other words, I can't serve it at the bar because it's not generally regarded as safe, right? I was suggesting that you should have surreptitious touts coming up to customers, giving it to them so they can order more drinks. Right, but you my, should deny. Right. My point. My point is, is that as a as a theoretically responsible person, I cannot serve it to a guest because it is not on the list of ingredients as generally regarded as safe by the United States of America. True. I don't know if it's on the list. Okay, okay. So, okay, so go ahead. Internet. So your tests, what has happened? So I decided to try this stuff for the first time, and I had a couple of capsules of it, and I went to... How far in advance? Existing conditions. Um, 30 minutes in advance. Okay. And I had, like, eight cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your bartender? I have to talk to them about this. <laughs> I don't remember a thing. Night. Was there a bartender? <laughs> <laughs> no, and I... Nastasia... Yeah, that was self-serve night. Observed me, and I was yeah, not perfectly. Nastasia uh, was like, the more drunk other people get, as long as they get more sullen and silent, the better they appear to her. <laughs> so, like, Nastasia, there's nothing Nastasia loves more than a silent, sullen drunk. Because she can just sit there next to them without interacting, and they'll slowly sag into themselves like a persimmon, slowly, slowly bleeding and dehydrating into its own flesh. And that is her favorite dinner date. <laughs> True or false? That's false. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> so, okay, so you had eight cocktails, and what was the, what was your... And by I the way, was okay. It was the equivalent of having maybe and, four cocktails without dihydromericin. And they weren't, like, you didn't order only step backs or non-alcoholic. I didn't have a single non-alcoholic or low-alcoholic cocktail. I yeah. had water. You had water. Yeah, so sparkling. for those really of you good. that are wondering, this is not some sort of, uh, we don't serve miniature cocktails at existing conditions. We, it's as we say, in general, you get the full two-ounce pour, right? We have some lower alcohol yeah. drinks, and we no, have a lot of non-alcohol significant drinks. significant cocktails. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, all right. So your, your first test is, you say, a success. A mixed success. Ethanol has sort of a complicated way of intoxicating you involving various different neurotransmitters, and it felt like some of that was inhibited by the dihydromericetin and some of it was not. How, uh, how was the morning inhibited? <laughs> um, the morning was fine, but my mornings are unpredictable. I 
There's no reliable link between drinking and feeling hungover for me. Sometimes I really do and sometimes I really don't. So we need to find someone, anyone out there. I mean, I can't suggest that you do this test because, again, I haven't done the research Paul has. He can suggest that you do it. But uh, They definitely studied it on rats. And what happened to the rats? They died. It works great on rats. In rats, to test drunkenness in rats, there's... uh, property called L-O-R-R, which is the lack of writing reflex, where you get the rat drunk and you turn it upside down and you see if it can turn itself upright again. And so a drunk rat Wow, that's a technical term for effing with a rat. Yes. And (laughs) dihydromerizidin dramatically reduces the lack of writing reflex in a rat. All right, what we need here is we need someone... We need like a regular person. Yeah, yeah, someone who who doesn't have some... Can I volunteer? uh, Do you you normally get hangovers, Dave? Do I get them? Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. All right, so yeah. I'm in my 30s. Well, so come to the come to the bar. I can't provide you with the. Uh, I'll provide you with. So I drink for free. Yeah. Show me, show me. You're fucking Dave in the booth. Let me see. Whoa. You. Bleep that out. Sorry. Sorry, people. You're Dave in the booth. We'll I'll spot you your cocktails. Um, yeah. But, but um. Okay, moving on to Paul's second thing. All right, what is? Is this my thing? Yeah. Well, we came up with it together. But yes. you well, you present got, the problem. Okay, but hurry because i got to answer one question too. The problem is... No, I'm not going to present the problem because these Oh, my angry. goodness. So just say, say what an idea they decide. Okay. okay. Well, we got four minutes. I know. When you go to existing conditions, beyond the amazing and highly intoxicating cocktails, there's also Dave Arnold milling around. And if you have any questions, he's right there and he will tell you the answers to all your questions. And this is sort of a profit opportunity that needs to be exploited. So I think Dave should set up a little consultation booth in the back. You mean like Lucy's Lemonade? Yes, that's exactly, exactly. what Lucy's I said. Lemonade. Yes, yes. 15 and minutes with Dave, $100. $100. You get a free cocktail to drink during your 15 minutes with Dave. And you can I, write it off if he's helping you with your food and drink mm-hmm. business. Yeah. I, will, I will only quote Lucy during the entire time. You have pantophobia. <laughs> I will always call people Chuck, no matter what their yes, name is. Yes. 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, don't you think that's a good idea? I don't know, man. It's just I think like, that's a great idea. Like we've spent our lives giving people information for free. So I don't now know. is the time. Well, speaking of... Uh, well, they're taking yeah, time your to monetize time away it. from yes. when you should be entertaining customers in your bar. But it, that is the entertainment, no. asking me some dumb... No. Asking me some questions. So check this no, out. the entertainment is when you sing in German. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the show. So, so, so check this out. This is like one of my better, uh, better like podcast ramifications that happened. There was a couple in New York City yesterday, last night, I'm on the phone. I'm with Nastasia. Nastasia and I are having one of our many, many intensely unpleasant conversations <laughs> with uh, our yeah, contacts. Last night was pretty unpleasant. Our contacts over in Shenzhen in China with uh, with our factory stuff, and someone literally hears me yell on the phone. You know, gee, damn it, that's the most ridiculous thing. Like yelling, like like just like going off on the phone as they're walking past had no idea where existing conditions was and says I know that voice (laughs) (laughs) comes into the bar (laughs) he has a good time he's like oh that's a win that's That's a win I know that jerk (laughs) like a siren call yeah yeah alright let's do a question real quick real quick very quickly I should say yeah I'm trying to teach my kids proper proper grammar yeah get going alright 
Greetings, Cooking Issues crew from my stuffy condo in New Westminster, British Columbia, Canada, near Vancouver. I'm a long-time listener, first-time emailer, just finished fully catching up on all 300 and some episodes. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds brutal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, it's like a by, freaking... By the way, real quick interjection. I listened to the very first episode of oh, Cooking Issues the other day, and it is like night and day. What do you, you mean? You just open like so NPR, oh like low-key professional and like... It's just, it, it sounds like a completely different Dave. What's better? <laughs> Go on. Uh, uh, he's like, uh, the NPR. Yo, one time, like, two or three years ago, we, we said, should we do a more welcome to cooking issues? No, 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 no. That's a hard no. Yeah, all right. Yes. All right. Not sure what I'm going to listen to while I get my house cleaning done, toying with going back and starting over from episode one. No! This is what I told, so... Anyway, whatever. This is why I tell Dax all the time. Find new things. Life is too short. Find new things. Uh, anyways, my friends and I travel uh, to the Oregon coast every year, and we traditionally make a cheese fondue. Ready, Nastasia? Okay. Cheese fondue. You like cheese fondue. I will say this also. Whoa. The person who called in with the Koji question, we don't have an answer yet. Is Hopefully that your alarm so. for 1 p.m.? No, that's Nastasia, like, ordering shoes on Zappos. Yeah, They're like, where's there's no one at the address to pick up your shoes? You're literally going to go and... It, I need you for fondue, Nastasia. You're the fondue lady. Hi. Oh, Jesus. So much for not taking calls on the air. So, Paul, you'll have to stand in for Nastasia. You'll okay. have to do your best meme. I love fondue. All right. I hate fondue. All right. No, she likes fondue because she it's Swiss. Fondue. She likes Swiss things? She likes Swiss things. Huh. Yeah. Good to know. Uh, hates biscuits, loves Swiss things. Uh... We also uh, do this during the Super Bowl, so I guess it's a twice-per-year event. So as long as you get to my question by the end of January, uh, we're in good shape. Uh, while we're making fondue this time, I realized that we didn't have any cornstarch, which is what most slash all the online recipes call for, so I subbed in flour. None of the recipes I found, even the Serious Eats one, explained why cornstarch is generally used instead of flour. I did a cursory search online but found a lot of conflicting opinions and people listing the properties of each thickener without really applying it to the scenario of cheese fondue. Uh, melting shredded cheese that's tossed with the starch uh, into a high acidity uh, added wine situation. You with me so far, Paul? Yes. Okay. Um, I found it difficult to get the flour-subbed fondue to get the right consistency. It was quite thick, which is unusual. Usually you have to use more flour because it's got less thickener in it because yeah. it's got all that extra garbage in it's it, like, like two a- to one. ash and protein. Or, I mean, I've heard different ratios, but it's, anyway, it's yeah. not one-to-one anyway. Um, it was quite thick, and the cheese wasn't blending nicely with the reduced wine. I eventually got it to the consistency where dipping was possible, but it didn't have the same velvety texture it had in the past and seemed perpetually on the verge of breaking. I did cook the wine down and added the cheese gradually over 20-30 minutes on low heat. I used slightly more flour than what was called for in the cornstarch. There you go. That's proper. Maybe I added too much. Probably not. Any thoughts on why cornstarch is the preferred starch here? Or is, or is it? Could other starches be used? Uh, thanks for pumping out an entertaining show. My house would be dirtier without your podcast. Uh, also, if you guys are still keeping uh, tabs on uh, the demographic stats, I'm a 32-year-old female who hides all kitchen tech purchases from my disapproving husband. All right! That's what I'm talking about. This is from Dana. Uh, pronounced Dana, not Dana. Anyway, uh, so, uh, okay, so I, the, the, the short answer is flour should work. I don't know. The main difference is between flours, for instance, wheat starch is a form of purified uh, flour. So the main difference between regular flour and a pure starch is simply the fact that starch is pure starch and flour has other things in it like protein, ash, um, things like that. So, <clears throat> Uh, any certain starches will perform 
differently. Cornstarch has a lot of things going for it. Cornstarch is extremely neutral in flavor. Cornstarch is extremely cheap. Cornstarch uh, doesn't clump as badly as some other starches. So it's easy to toss the shredded cheese or the cheese cubes in cornstarch to keep them separated while they're melting. Then as they melt out, the cornstarch will functionalize rather quickly and you get a nice fondue. Also cornstarch, because it doesn't have a lot of other stuff in it, is relatively clear, so it's not going to cast a haze over your um, over your you know fondue that you might get uh, if you're using flour because flour has much more of an opacifying effect because it doesn't uh, it doesn't fully you know once the starch gelatinizes there's still stuff that's not dissolved that's in AP flour now. Uh, other starches are great uh, and can be used in even smaller quantities. For instance, arrowroot starch. Arrowroot starch works well in fondue. Uh, I haven't tested a lot of other starches. I'd be worried about some starches. Things like potatoes swell tremendously, so maybe it'll make it too thick. I don't know. I've never used potato starch in a fondue. Um, I think a lot of the flour, like this, are the arguments about flour, go all the way back to Escoffier. So Escoffier wrote in his famous... Uh, well, you remember what Escoffier's book is called, Paul? I forget. Anyway, uh, so Escoffier wrote that in the future we will not have to use flour for thickening because we're going to have all of these kind of purified starches. Uh, so he was very prescient in that way. Uh, and his theory was is that when you're adding flour to something that's going to be cooked, uh, so you either want to cook it for a half of an hour to get rid of the raw flour taste. I'm making air quotes in my hand here. This is his, his words, not mine. Or you want to add it at the very last minute in the form of a burmani, which is where you mold butter and flour together into like lumps, and you throw those lumps in to provide a, a quick thickening right as it comes up to the boil. But Escoffier was very much opposed to any kind of cooking between just bringing it to the boil and cooking it for like half hour, 45 minutes to cook out the flour taste. If you read roux recipes where people are making roux, which is not the same as fondue, but if you're, or bechamel recipes, things like this, all of the old school recipes will advise relatively long, slow cook times of the flour, presumably to get rid of that flour taste that they say. I have not necessarily fully experienced what they mean by this flour taste, but it's also possible that the non-dissolved, non-starch stuff was giving you some textural issues in your fondue. Any thoughts on this, uh, Paul? That makes a lot of sense, Dave. All right. Um, Nastasia, yeah. you like cheese fondue? And, like... Do you make it ever, or do you just like it? Just like you prefer it. other Swiss people to make it for you. I prefer to have lots of people, yeah, around. But you, you don't make, make it. For it. One, no. Yeah, okay. But you, you don't ever make it. No, you have other people make it for you. Yeah. Okay. Where do you get it? Other people. Other people. Other people's homes. <laughs> yeah. Other people's homes. You can't uh, recommend a fondue parlor in New York. Uh, there used oh, to there be used a bunch, to be, yeah. but well, so back on this, so like the modern way to, so like obviously when you're making a fondue. Uh, you want to get the right consistency. You also, I mean, the traditional fondue is about using a cheese that melts quite well. So, like, you know, a lot of fondues, traditionally, you're using some form of Gruyere-like, Conte-like thing, right? Uh, you need the right balance of aged and fat and everything together so that they melt together properly. Uh, the wine is there because you need, a, like, a, a certain amount of acidity to get to, you know, to emulsify properly, but the the key thing, if you want the no-fail and you don't mind using new technology, I, look, the older I get, the more I am not interested in riding the edge of failure on a constant basis, right? So it's like, 
already the stuff that I do, like I'm on the edge of failure all the time. So why would I, you know, leave myself to the vagaries of how the cheese happens to be today or how my burner happens to be today about whether or not I'm going to end up with a gluey mass or not, right? Or what is the exact acid uh, amount that's in my wine? Because too much acid's bad, too little acid's bad, right? You need to get the right pH. Everything needs to be right. So I would highly recommend that you cheat and you just add to your fondue what the chef's desk people and the modernist cuisine people do. They add um, what they call melting salts, so sodium citrate, sodium hexametaphosphate. This is going to give you a big insurance policy to prevent against uh, graininess in your fondue. Likewise, uh, you know, if you're going to make the fondue of the Americas, which is queso, right? Uh, if you're making queso, queso typically doesn't require, you just use more cheese, doesn't require a thickener. If you don't add too much milk or cream to your queso, it doesn't require any thickener at all. But no matter what cheese you're using, you should use, you know, some sort of American style, government style cheese. Add some Velveeta to it because it comes with enough <laughs> emulsifying salts and ability to emulsify a tractor trailer of, of queso. So like you can do several pounds of, uh, you know, regular government cheese or American cheese and a little bit of Velveeta, which is much more expensive, and Rotel, and get yourself... I mean, that's the fondue that I make on the regular, especially for Super Bowl. Everybody right. everybody right. likes queso. Right, i got to wrap it up. Wait, you're saying you don't like queso, Dave? We I do. like queso, but we got to wrap it up. All right, okay, I'll give you this on the, on the way out. Ready for this? So yesterday... Wait, wait, real quick, actually, wait, 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 let me just say, uh, right. i got to give a quick shout-out to Ann Robertson, who is the person who put me on to the first episode of Cooking Issues and uh, also contributed to the station, so thank you. Thanks. Thank you. So uh, on the way out, check this. Yesterday, Nastasi, do you have your food handler's license? No. You should go get it just in case. To. You don't want to. Because that would be the last frontier, and I don't. I want that to be like, I do everything else. It's good I'm for life. Doing, I'm not doing that. Anyway, I went up to, to take the test yesterday. I think you could do it online. You, no, you take the classes online, okay. and then you have to go in person to take okay. the test. Uh -huh. Okay, so first of all, I, I was going to go on a rant, but we don't have time, about how wrong the, the rules are, how incredibly wrong the rules okay. are. So I'll save that anger for later. So I'm up there, and it takes forever to take this freaking test, right? So it, like the test itself, 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like maybe 15, right? 50 questions, multiple choice, bang, 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 bang. So if you're good at standardized tests, you're in, you're out. Sure. And, and you know that's what I am good at in life is standardized tests. You know, every, that's, food handling. Okay. Anyway, so I show up. It, I sit in the in the back of the room, and unfortunately, you have to register by row. So I'm waiting 45 minutes where you're not allowed to use your cell phone or do anything just to get the test into my hot, sweaty hands. Right? It's raining, so I have my raincoat, my hat, whatever. Nightmare. So uh, I finally I get the test. I rip through it. I run up. They go to grade it, and she's like, "Wrong, wrong, wrong, wrong." I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa." I was like, you must have aligned the answer key wrong. She's like, nope. I'm like, listen, this is you, not me. I, I, like, I look at it, and I'm like, you're using the wrong answer key. So it turns out she was using the wrong answer key. She goes, pretty confident, huh? I'm like, man, yeah. I mean, this is what I do. Like, I mean, there's nothing else in life that I'm confident about other than my ability to take your standardized food test. School. Food yeah. school. Like, here I am, I'm like, oh my God, I have to go on the air tomorrow and Leave tell to everyone an that person. I failed yeah, food yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. I Leave failed it to an food admin school. person to, to derail you like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, back next week with Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 